Welcome everyone. Today we have partner at Ballerton, Rob Moffat, joining us to talk about uh, Zigo, Dingy, how investors choose companies, uh, cost-effective marketing. But first, let's start off with your background. Walk us through a quick review of what you did before Ballerton. So uh, I studied maths at Cambridge, uh, did part three in statistics, um, but this was before data science existed. And so I was told there was no potential professional future with that. So went into consulting, uh, spent five years with Bain & Company, worked a lot on insurance and financial services, uh, did an MBA at INSEAD, then went to Google. Uh, so, so I was at Google 07 to 09. Um, it was the only time I'm aware of that Google did layoffs. It was sort of post-financial crisis and I spent a lot of time reorganizing Google's uh, European sales team. Uh, also worked on the early days of YouTube. It was like, we have millions of users on YouTube. How the hell do we create an ad format around that? I uh, probably spent far too much time overthinking that and trying to design some horribly complex AdWords-like system. Uh, whereas the reality was we handed it over to one of the big agencies and said, make us five million on this through exclusive contracts with big clients. Um, so it was a good uh, awakening from a world where I started off with AdWords and all about quantification and auctions into the world of brand advertising, which was completely different. I then joined Bulletin in 2009, made partner in 2015. I focus on Bulletin at fin on fintech uh, and insurance, uh, also on the board of uh, Patients Know Best, a CCAN company in healthcare, and CarWow, which is a new car marketplace. Cool. When you started at Balderson, what was the first deal you did? And what, if you knew what you know now, what would you have done differently there? So yeah, the first deal I did was a company called Archify, um, which uh, was a seed stage investment. So we put half a million in. Um, really smart guys uh, trying to reinvent search engines. Um, and really interesting technology. Uh, they were using browse time to work out how to search rather than just links, but they didn't have a growth engine. And it was, it was very clear that it wasn't, uh, our bet was there was a product there that people would talk about to each other. And you looked at DuckDuckGo and thought, that people sort of flock to these kind of products. There's some interest in these kind of things. Uh, perhaps they can take off. But I think that was an education to me on the importance of being really rigorous around that. Uh, and how hard it is to try to buy in that talent. Uh, they hired a bunch of CMOs, none of which worked out, and never really got that growth engine humming. So one of the things that you talk about in previous blog posts and that you've been known to have a real thing for is growth engines, marketing, spend, customer acquisition. Maybe you can give us a, a run-through sort of the, the, the top of mistakes or the top sort of lessons that you've learned from that. So I think it's, uh, it's easy as an investor to have too much pattern recognition to see something that works uh, and start putting everything else into that mold. Uh, and I think it was definitely a phase of my career where I got quite obsessed with data-driven marketing uh, and understanding CPA in excruciating detail. Um, so really sort of understand, okay, strip out organic, strip out brand paid search, uh, strip out repeats, strip out all sorts of factors, then you work out what your real CPA is. And I think that's a great discipline to have. Um, but it's not the be all and end all. Uh, so I think for a business like CarWow, which is mostly driven by paid marketing, um, that is really important, right? They have to be really rigorous on how they think about paid acquisition. Uh, for a business like Revolut, it's completely irrelevant. They spend almost nothing on marketing. They grow extremely fast. Uh, they grow because they have a great product. They iterate fast. They communicate well to their users uh, and they've built that real 
kind of positive cycle of, of continuing product innovation, uh, which is a very different growth approach, which is also valid. Uh, and then more recently invested in Zigo, which is much more of a growth through partnerships and a growth through uh, business development. Uh, and so I think these kind of seeing these different ways of growing uh, and being much more open to the different approaches. So let's let's focus on Zigo and, and Dingy, which are two recent investments in the insurtech space. Uh, you you wrote a really good blog post that broke down the five reasons why you backed um, the companies. Yeah, I'm just going to quickly read what those five reasons are, but then we can jump quickly into them. So the first one is exceptional team, really understand the target market. The second is a new market growing very fast, which traditional insurance find hard to cover. The third is technology, which fundamentally changes the insurance product. Mm -hmm. Uh, cost-effective route to market, which is what you briefly covered right now, and a capital-efficient model. And some of these most founders have read in some blog post somewhere, but some of these are probably worth exploring a little further. Mm -hmm. So maybe in the context of these two companies, especially in a highly competed market like the insurance market, you can walk us through kind of how do you as an investor look at a potential entrant in a highly paid uh, market mm -hmm. like insurance, yeah, yeah. and how do they even manage to rise above the noise, even if they have a very differentiated product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think yeah, I've been looking at insurance a lot over the last few years, and there's a lot of companies starting up, uh, but it is a really tough market to break into. Uh, it's a product that people don't get excited by. Um, people don't go out looking for insurance. They don't talk to their friends about insurance. Uh, and so the biggest challenge uh, in insurance is how do you rise above the noise and uh, really start to pick up people in a big way. Uh, and I think there's... So two, maybe three ways to do this. Uh, I think the, the straightforward way is the partnerships, the bundling uh, approach for insurance. The easiest way to sell insurance is bundle it in with a car rental, bundle it in with when you buy your iPhone, um, uh, sell it through Revolut. Uh, it's, that's the easiest way to sell insurance. Um, and I think that's uh, that's a big driver for Zigo uh, in terms of their growth. They offer insurance for uh, initially for delivery drivers uh, and for taxi drivers. Uh, so for delivery uh, moped drivers or car drivers, uh, they need to have insurance for when they work. Uh, a lot of them work part time, so they need to have flexible insurance, uh, and they can't afford to spend three thousand pounds upfront for a year of um, professional moped insurance. So it's a great sort of product there, um, but Deliveroo gives them a really clear channel. So that's one. One is the sort of the partnerships bundling approach. Uh, the second one is the pure paid marketing, comparison engines, really go after it in a very quantitative way, um, which is feasible, but, but tough. And I think the economics of that have been tough for a lot of players in insurance, particularly given how dominant some of the comparison engines are. And then the third way is the, the one that I think that no one's really proven yet, which is the, can you build a product that people love uh, and people come to you? And that is the play with uh, Dinghy. Uh, so Dinghy offer flexible insurance for freelancers, whether that's developers, designers, uh, contractors, freelance consultants, uh, again, in a very flexible way. So you can turn it on for one day when you're working. Uh, you then go on holiday for two weeks and you can turn it down to a, a much lower level. Uh, but importantly, you're still covered for prior work. Uh, the big issue for a lot of freelancers is they cancel their insurance uh, when they take a full-time job or they go traveling for three months, then they're no longer covered for any indemnity claims or liability claims from prior work. Uh, so they're very exposed. Um, so that's the, the, the dinghy play is that this is a great product. It's in a 
community which really talk to each other and where things do spread by word of mouth. Uh, and so it could be a company that grows similarly to Revolut in a much more word of mouth, viral way. So you covered a, a few ways that growth can happen, and one of them being mm. kind of the Revolut way, which mm. is a, a product-led, in effect. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a virality because people really like the product or the, the first product. But when it comes to the, the Zigo example, actually, it's not that obvious to me. So, for example, um, I've, you know, anecdotally, I've had chats with, with drivers and you know, sometimes it's the, the cost that you can kind of get away with not having once you've mm. already cleared the first uh, check to see whether yeah, yeah, you're yeah. covered. And it's it's wondering whether or not that's a habit that's now hard to break. So that's, that's the first thing. So as an investor, you're investing in a product where habitually people are used to not having. Yeah, so yeah. you're not having to change that behavior. That's the first question. And the second one is, you know, they're... they're uh, approach or they're, they're, the way they're getting approached is through traditional channels mm -hmm. and so now you're competing on those traditional channels as opposed to something like a, a dinghy where there just is a vacuum of products so therefore it is yeah. the only product that yeah. fulfills the need so how do you how, how is that cost effective like yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. just pushing back on sort of the claims on so I think yeah so the important thing about Zigo is there's real technology there and I think that's that's what we look for in everything we look for in insurance um, the technology is firstly understanding driver behavior um, secondly, and probably more importantly, integrating to the platforms. Mm. So Deliveroo know exactly when I started my insurance uh, and exactly when I stopped working. Mm -hmm. uh, and they trigger the insurance to cover all that time. Mm. Um, a lot of the, anything else out there on the market today is the driver opts in. Mm. Uh, and so it's very tempting as a driver to opt in for less time than you drove or just not opt in at all mm -hmm. um, because every, every pound counts and this is not cheap insurance. Mm. Whereas... Deliveroo are hugely exposed if they're not, um, if their drivers aren't insured. Uh, this is not something they want right now. There, there's a lot of ongoing conversation around the gig economy, uh, a lot of political attention in the sector. So their drivers have to be insured. Uh, they can't be insured by the platform um, because that would be one more step to, towards their drivers looking more like employees. Mm -hmm. um, so they need a solution that's automatic, integrated, but also third party. Uh, so that is that's what makes it hard to copy what Zigo do. Yeah, and then yeah, the there's a, a good incentive for the platform to offer this at the top of the list of potential insurance services. So, so that's how you circumvent the high cost of, of acquiring. Yeah, yeah, that is a. But then that brings up a different question, which is some of the companies here might have, which is. The only chance that you have nowadays is to have the right relationships with the right VC to get into the right partnerships, because it would seem that. It's, you know, if you're a founder with, with mm. very few relationships that you're starting from scratch, it's almost extremely difficult to build these kinds of relationships. And whereas some of the investors that facilitate these relationships mm. make it possible. It's almost like it's like a wind, apparent wind, just making yeah, it go faster. Yeah, yeah. Is, it, is, is that the, the, the key thing? Do you find that these companies are accessing these relationships so, in some unique way? Or is it mostly that through relationships that you have, yeah, yeah. you're enabling them to happen. Um, so in the Zigo story was two of the founders were ex-Deliveroo. So they started off with a, with a great Deliveroo network, um, but they also have a relationship with Uber Eats that they just got through Hustle. Um, so yeah, finding friends of friends and forcing themselves in front of people. And that was just pure on the ground hustle. It's actually really interesting. We, we had dinner with um, some of the SoftBank guys last night and you look at, China, uh, Japan, Korea, it's all about 
who you know on the platforms uh, and a big part of their pitch is they get you on those platforms. Mm-hmm. That hasn't been relevant in Europe um, up until recently because no platform is big enough that actually counts. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, it's quite interesting and positively for the European ecosystem that yeah, someone like Deliveroo is becoming an interesting platform and is big enough that it actually matters as a platform. Uh, so yeah, uh, Zoopla as well, right? Seeing Zoopla being, doing a lot now as a platform for anything property related. I think it's good to see these companies coming through. Mm-hmm. So we've covered, with the exception of talking about the team, although you peripherally mentioned it in terms of their partnerships, we've covered all the four first points that you made in your in your blog post. But the last one, which is the capital efficiency, maybe we can finish with that. Walk us mm. through what capital efficiency means for you. Because when you go back to this, this uh, subject about customer acquisition, you can really skew capital efficiency quite quickly if, if that's kind of a... a a burn, burn the market quickly kind of strategy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walk us through how you determine capital efficiency. And as a VC, do you, how do you mediate and balance a, a company accelerating their yeah. growth yeah, 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 at the yeah. same time remaining efficient? It's uh, Capital efficiency is something we debate all the time. Um, I think we're a, a sort of big enough fund that we can invest in some pretty expensive businesses, but small enough that we care, we care about every 10 million and how that gets deployed. Um, and we don't like businesses that are all about scorched earth, let's go out and uh, outraise a competition and try and establish a monopoly. Um, and when we look at the user acquisition, I think the, the classic rule is, do users pay back within less than a year? That's the kind of the standard rule of thumb. Um, but you have to vary it. I think you look at a business like um, robo-advisory uh, or pensions, it's not realistic to pay back in a year. The industry standard is pay back in five years. So if you're paying back in a year and a half, uh, it actually looks very good. Um, so there are, those rules of thumb can become less relevant. Uh, you look at games, uh, mobile games, then you want to be paying back in less than a year. You want to have that velocity. Uh, and then it really, yeah, it's that velocity of ability to reinvest that money um, that allows you to really grow efficiently. Similar thing for, for a lot of the neo banks, for Revolut, Monzo, etc. And it's, the marketing spend is low, but there's a lot of subsidizing of initial customers. And again, it's how quickly can you get those customers to become profitable and be able to reinvest that cash. There definitely is a state where if you're growing fast enough uh, and people see that you could become some sort of uh, monopoly or become a clear leader in your market, people don't care. There's plenty of money around right now. And if you're growing 5x, 10x a year in a big market and people believe you could become the clear leader, then it's, it's, uh, it's not relevant at the stage we invest. Um, but for a lot of the businesses we do invest in, it's that ability to turn things around quickly, keep central costs under control. And when we look at fintech businesses, there is a balance sheet required. Uh, if you want to become an insurer, if you want to become a bank, uh, and so actually understanding what that means and uh, uh, working through SCR and Solvency 2 and all these kind of exciting uh, regulations. What's uh, Bolton looking for these days for SaaS businesses in terms of what you see as the sort of metric requirements to get your attention for a Series A? It is a, I think SaaS is the one area where we are more metric driven. I think you look at something like Revolut or, or Zigo, it's very hard to say what metrics we looked at when we first invested in those companies. Um, for SaaS, particularly kind of low ticket SaaS, there's so much that's been done and so many benchmarks, you can definitely start to look at a bit of numbers. I think the 1 million of annual recurring revenues definitely is something that gets people's attention. Um, strong gross margin, 
including sort of fully costed gross margins, so including the, the service costs as well, uh, I think is important. Less than 12 month time to pay back acquisition costs and growth. I mean, growth is by far the most important of all of those. Uh, and then, yeah, the negative churn that you have clients. Yeah, everyone has some churn and the smaller your customers are, the more churn you'll have, but also the smaller your customers are, the more your the ones you retain should be growing and you should be able to increase the revenues from them. So looking for that strong negative churn. The tough one to us is that the businesses that have a few large clients, we're looking at a company right now that has two enormous clients spending millions. How do we get comfortable on that? Because there is huge client concentration risk, but it's a sign they're doing something super interesting. And that's when I think you kind of throw the metrics out the window, comes back again to the team and the technology. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud and leave us a read with your thoughts on our show.